is waiting until marriage for sex a good idea or even realistic? We discuss this and more with special guest Kat Harris on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, home for the creative intellectual and the only cult that wants you to think more, not less. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, hopeful, hopeless, romantic. And with me, as always, is my worrisomely wise co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and... Oh, man, I'm thinking... going to be this time? I don't know. I can't even think. Um... Um, you can plan these ahead of time. You know. I, I know. I really shouldn't <laughs> be doing that. Uh, advocate of uh, a lover of chick flicks. Un- unashamedly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. As you All should right. be. As right. you should be. I, I approve <laughs> of this one. Uh, and today with us is a very special guest. She is a speaker and host of the popular podcast, The Refined Woman, and co-founder of The Refined Woman Publication, where she coaches women on how to explore dating and relationships from a Christian perspective without the shame that is often attached to such discussions. Her new book, Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex, tells of her own journey of coming to the city and navigating the dating world and between the sexual values of her Christian upbringing or the values of the city she finds herself in. She is the kind, the courageous, the captivating Kat Harris. Kat, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. First of all, do you do voiceover work? <laughs> <laughs> uh, once or twice I've done that. You sound like the guy at the end of those commercials about heartburn where it's right? like, oh, heartburn, take this medicine. And at the end it's like, but you'll probably die, but you you may have exactly, seizures for the rest of your life. Exactly, you know, Just like whizzing yeah. through the most important that, stuff. That is in my top five compliments. I think I've gotten. So thank you well, very much for that. Yeah. You're welcome. This podcast you're doesn't welcome. work out. I think you have a future. I have a future really, in, in Pepto-Bismol commercials. You really, <laughs> really do. You have that. I can tell that you guys both are in the, the industry. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. But thank you so much for being here, Kat. We are really excited to talk to you today. And you are putting out a book. Tell me when it actually comes out. What's the date? 420, baby. 420. Oh, any yeah. any nice. cannabis folks out there? <laughs> Probably not. Good <laughs> cannabis reading. I know. Yes. Yeah. I was joking with my I'm my publisher, and I said, you know, that's National Weed Day, and they yeah. were like, that's not still a thing, and I was like, what rock are you living under? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. not, not a millennial rock, but oh not my a millennial rock. I was hilarious. like, maybe we can send some CBD out with my book or something. <laughs> That's great. You know, hey, if it works. But again, real quick before we jump in, guys, if you want to get her book, it's called Sexless in the City and is available everywhere books are sold. Please pre-order or order, depending on when this comes out, um, her book on Amazon. Uh, Get it. This is a great look into everything that we've been talking about for a little bit on the podcast. Yeah. We're talking about this more than we thought we were going to this year. We did this series in February about sex and dating and family and love. And this seems to be a really popular topic with our listeners. And I think there is something to that. I think that many people currently right now um, are really dealing with struggling, uh, trying to decipher and walk through this journey of sexuality and dating and faith and how those all intermingle in our lives. And it's a really hard world there, especially after a pandemic. Yeah, and I think we're yes. all trying to figure this out. And I think there's a huge interest, not to mention it's just intrinsic to our humanity right. that we want and desire love. And we, we need to find out how to do that right. And so right. I'm excited to talk to you today, Kat, kind of about your book and your story and everything. But Joseph has some great questions, so let's get those up. So yes, uh, as I always, I start with a little bit of intro. 
Yes. So today, we're, big topic is discussing whether or not you should wait to have sex until marriage. If you're, <laughs> yeah, no, we like to keep things light and controversial on this podcast. Totally. Same. Yeah. If you're a religious person, the concept of abstaining from sex until marriage is probably something that you've been exposed to and likely had to wrestle with at some point in your life. And if you're a secular person, the concept is probably one of the most bizarre and off-putting parts of religious belief to you. According to Religion and Premarital Sex from the Boston Globe, all major religions teach to wait for sex until marriage, but the number of religious people who actually practice non-marital sexual abstinence is far lower, and the number of religious people who believe in it is dropping as well. More than 9 out of 10 Americans admit to having premarital sex, according to premarital sex, almost everyone's doing it from CBS, and according to pre-research, only 25% of Americans believe premarital sex is always wrong, which according to Gallup, is from was in 1969. Many people argue that waiting until marriage is not practical at a time when people are putting off marriage until later in life, and it isn't as necessary in a time of easy access to birth control. Further, many people argue that the attempts by religious communities to socially enforce sexual abstinence do real psychological harm, particularly to young women, a la purity culture in American evangelical circles and the conversations that that has, uh, has started. Kat, as somebody who has grown up in evangelical Christian community and now counsels mm -hmm. people, particularly young women, on sex and dating through your writing and podcasts, do you think that abstaining from sex until marriage is a good idea or even realistic? And what is the best way to respect your sexuality, your body, and religious convictions in the dating market in ways that are practical? Okay. Do you have like four hours for each of those questions? <laughs> you have Jeez. 25 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> 25 Okay. So let me, I'll just, let's just maybe go one by one. Yes, um, do it. Is having, is abstaining from sex until marriage realistic? Mm. Um, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, I think it honestly depends on the person. I think it depends on the value system, the belief system. I would agree that living longer than we've ever lived before, marrying later than we've ever married before. And part of that is because we are more educated than we ever have been before. Mm, yeah. um, <clears throat> I think that abstinence before marriage seems less and less, um, it seems less and less realistic. Yeah. I know, at least for me, growing up in Southern evangelical conservative culture, even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home, Christianity was sort of the air I breathed. And so once I became a Christian and learned that good Christians don't have sex until marriage, I was almost 17 years old. And mm. most of my friends got married at 19, 20, 21. Yeah. So uh. the idea of abstinence was not too big of an ask, right? And, sure. and primarily the purity culture was a massive campaign in the 90s, uh, late 80s, 90s, early 2000s that was main goal was to get teenagers not to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> and I can say we, or we can say from statistics and coming out of that, that that campaign did not work. No. Um, but I think it's one thing to ask someone to not have sex for a few years. And then now I'm 35 years old. Mm, I'm single and <laughs> yeah. no prospect in sight, at least right now. <laughs> hey, there's I mean, a lot I, of people listening to the podcast. I am single <laughs> and ready to mingle. I am 5'10". <laughs> I, I love long walks on the beach. Um, <laughs> no. Um, so it does feel like a different ask when you're, mm, yeah. when you're asking people to have a prolonged abstinence. And I think what I found in my own story is I think I just got really sick of pastors and leaders telling me what I could and couldn't do between my legs who got married mm -hmm. at 20. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, listen, I'm 30, 31, 32, now 35. I have friends. I mean, we live in New York City. I went when the world was open to a church of 80% single people. And this isn't a college town. These are working professionals working at Goldman Sachs in the fashion industry at Deloitte, Merrill Lynch in their 40s, 45, single. So what is it to have a what is it to have an invitation for people to abstain for that long? Is it realistic? I mean, I don't know that it's very realistic. (laughs) However, I do as a person of faith, um, in the whole journey that I went on, once I was like, this is BS, I'm sick of feeling shame. What Mm. does the Bible actually say? Um, Upon my research, the Bible did and does really, I would say invite people to abstain from sex outside of marriage. That's a great way to put it. I love Mm. that. Yeah. I think unfortunately we've made it this salvation issue. We've made Mm. it your ticket. Sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I think we don't idolize God. We idolize sex. Culture idolizes sex and the church idolizes sex. Yes, absolutely. We see that left and right all over the place. The church revolves around the nuclear family. Our celebration culture revolves around relational status milestones. And so um, I think that we do, we have done a real disservice because we have quietly worshiped sex. We have quietly said your litmus test to Christianity is whether or not you are having sex outside of marriage. Mm. And in that, I think we're really, really missing the point. So I don't know if I really gave you a good answer no, on whether fantastic. or not sex yeah, you gave marriage good is answers. realistic. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, and I want to touch on um, a few things that you brought up, yeah. especially the purity movement, because I don't know if everyone listening kind of knows what that is and what that was. I grew up kind of when this was becoming a thing. And I was lucky enough to grow up in a family who didn't see moralism or fear um, as a way to share faith. And that's why probably I'm still, still a man of faith. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that I, I was, I lived in a family that encouraged relationship and mistakes were part of being human. Um, mm. But the, 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 the purity culture for anyone who doesn't know what it is, was this movement, I guess it came out of a few books, but primarily one that was very influential was I Kiss Dating Goodbye, um, written by Josh Harris, by who, uh, who, by the way, has later recently, um, yeah. I don't know, maybe not apology, but kind of said, this book was, was, I don't agree with it anymore because he's seen um, very much of what the book has done in it. And listen- Then he's left the faith fairly shortly after. Yeah, and and listen, I think think the purity movement came out of a place, um, a lot of good intentions do not create good um, executions. Sure, yeah. I think Ken Mm -hmm. Replace have seen the negative um, results that happen uh, when sex isn't treated um, highly and well and right. valuable and something to be thought of as important and to um, be acted out in the right context and right place that are that's beneficial to us. And so Christian said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go and we're going to put so many rules around it and we're going to make this a moralistic kind of philosophy. And I actually disagree with you, Kat. I think it did work, um, but with it working, I think it did actually keep kids from having sex, but what it did is make kids scared of sex and it made kids, and it gave us this really negative view, um, around sexuality, which is something created by God. At least we believe that is created by God and it's beautiful. It's good. We should be excited for it. Um, so that's a little bit uh, of what the purity movement was. And, but I do like that you brought up that. Christianity and secular culture has this obsession with sex. We both idolize it. And I think we oftentimes think, oh, the the secular people, they're the ones who are obsessed with sex. Well, I don't know. When I went to a church with a girlfriend um, years ago and she was wearing jeans and she was told she had to leave because she was causing the men to stumble. That seems to me like 
Christians might be a little obsessed with sex as well. And uh, so that's an interesting kind of perspective that Christian and Christian culture can be just as obsessed with sex as secular culture. And I think that goes to show that humanity is intrinsically sexual. And I know that's a weird thing to say for, but we are, and we're made to desire this. I, I was talking to my friend a while ago and I was, I was saying, you know, it does seem a little unfair of God to give us these sex drives that are are powerful and make us desire this thing and then say, but no, you can't have it, but you can't do it. So with the realistic thing, is it realistic to, like you said, I don't know if it is. I think it's good. I think God does invite us towards that. Um, but I think where the church has gone wrong is in saying, if you haven't done this perfectly, then you are of somehow of less value, of less worth, uh, that you can never do it right. That's not yeah. a, and I'm, that's not an endorsement of go do whatever you want. Um, but it is saying, I don't think any of us will get this right by the time we get married. I don't, I don't think we'll mm-hmm. have done it perfectly. And I think when you look at Jesus's words, he changes the entire format and, you know, they had, well, I haven't committed adultery. And he goes, well, have you looked on a woman with lust? And that's not Jesus saying, no matter what you do, you're terrible. He's saying that, all of humanity, I think, is going to get this wrong in some way, shape, or form. And then there is grace. Um, but to assume that there's an easy way to do this, I think, is probably a, a wrong assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to chime in on a couple of things that you said. Um, uh, so statistically speaking, abstinence only teaching doesn't work. So it, it doesn't didn't work. Okay. I'm willing no. to be corrected. Yeah. So um, there's an incredible New York Times journalist, Peggy Orenstein, who has these two books that I think every person should read girls in sex and boys in sex. Mm. And she did over 10 years of case studies and research and interviewing um, young people from high school to their mid twenties about their sexual experiences. And statistically speaking, abstinence only sex education only delays sex around two years in young people, only about two years. So you have to get them married off quick after this. It'd be like 17, 18. Um, And then on top of that, abstinence only teaching has the highest rate of anal and oral sex while people believing that they're still maintaining virginity and also Mm. higher rates of massively higher rates of STDs and unwanted pregnancies um, because it's, don't have sex, period, the end, you'll die. It's like the scene in Mean Girls where the coach is like, if you have sex, you will get chlamydia and die. And like, <laughs> that didn't work. That's pretty <laughs> and, close to the some of the youth group sermons I remember, right, actually. <laughs> right, and, and also to be clear, purity culture isn't over. In fact, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things that lit a fire under my eyes last year was there was, there's a famous celebrity pastor, I will not name names, <laughs> But he has a very famous or a very well-sold book in the last few years about relationships. And he did a a sermon series on sex and relationships, all this stuff in this sermon series that came out in 2020 or wait, what year is it? It's yeah, 2020. Um, (laughs) uh, He said. Not 2020 anymore. I know. I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't feel different. Yeah. Yeah. So he said in, in this, this YouTube has millions of views. Mm. If you have sex outside of marriage, God will never be able to use you. 
you are like a house that's been burned down. And even if it gets renovated, you still will always smell that burnt smell in your house. So he didn't read about Rahab or many many of the women and men, by the way. Yeah. And by the way, this guy didn't wait until marriage to have sex and has a very public porn addiction. And so like these messages are still here. And I think we wonder why is evangelical culture not relevant anymore why is the back door wider open than it ever okay. has been before not to mention what's happening culturally politically with social sure. justice with um racism but if we're just talking alone mm. with the sexual narratives i think our generation and the generations after us are so tired of the hypocrisy and they're so tired of being diminished to what they are or aren't doing sexually mm. It diminishes the God image in us. Absolutely. So it's very interesting. You brought up a lot of really interesting points. One of the things that is an interesting aspect to this is that even though, you know, all of this, all the things you talked about with the evangelical culture, it's still of the Christian alternatives, the one that is still maintaining actual numbers. You know, it's not uh, it's not gaining numbers, but it's also not. You mean the evangelical? The evangelical movement? The evangelical movement is actually, you know, uh, it's it's keeping pace with the population in terms of its growth. It's not getting bigger, but it's, whereas you know, progressive Christianity, mainline Christianity, is is like hemorrhaging members mm-hmm. um, in, mm-hmm. in in rapid succession, which so. You know, which is again, I don't have an explanation entirely for that phenomenon, but it is an interesting aspect of it. It does go sort of to show that there is an interesting, um, an interesting disconnect, sort of in terms of finding an answer and finding an alternative yeah. to um, to the answer, sort of that uh, conservative evangelicalism has had in turn to the the sexual question. So that's why I would sort of transition to you talking about sort of some of the answers that you've come up with about mm-hmm. how to, you know, because uh, you you had this one version, you said, okay, this doesn't work. And then you sort mm-hmm. of went to the city and said, okay, now you're encountering this different way of doing this. Mm-hmm. Sort of, can you describe sort of what that journey is like and what answers you you sort of came up with of how you think is better to live your life in a way that's honoring to God um, and uh, and wise. Yeah, while, sure. while not making while not, yeah. this thing an idol and totally Precisely. crushing people's yeah. psyches. Yeah. 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 Well, gosh, I think one of the, the big things first was giving myself the permission to doubt and ask, mm. giving myself the permission to do the scary thing that so many people are very scared of right now and deconstruct the narratives that I was given. Mm. I think deconstruction is such a hot topic and mm-hmm. uh, what's the word? Um, I don't know. It's just like a hot buzzword right now. Sure. Yeah. In, the, in but, the zeitgeist. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How, but really what deconstruction just <clears throat> is, it's, it just asks the question, how did I get here? Hmm. Why do I believe what I believe? So for me, it was giving myself the permission to go on a journey where I said, all right, what do I believe about sex? Mm, What do I believe about my body? What do I believe about gender roles? Where did I learn those beliefs from? What did I learn at home? What did I learn at school? What did I learn at the church? What did I learn from friends? What did I learn from culture? How did those, those different narratives and those different spheres help inform where I land today? Mm. And then are those beliefs working? Mm. And what are those practical element? Yeah. Yeah. And then what are those beliefs rooted in? 
Are they rooted in shame, fear, lack, scarcity, oppression, the weaponization of a gender? Then I can know for sure as a person who follows Jesus that that is out of alignment because we see the constant invitation throughout scripture is to not fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And that the Jesus invitation is to have an abundant life. And so from there, it's like, okay, for me, I realized I have no idea why I believe what I believe outside of sex, outside of an external narrative that was given to me. Mm -hmm. So I had nothing that was internally motivating me to not have sex. Hence why I was in the heat of the moment. And I was like, uh, man, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had no internal conviction. It was just, Oh, good Christians don't have sex. External moralism that has no relation to Jesus. Yeah. Right. And so I had to, and this is with any transformational journey, right? I mean, I can't want you to go to the gym and get a six pack more than you want it for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen unless you want it, unless you are Mm -hmm. internally motivated. That hits, that's a little too close to home. (laughs) 2020 was hard on our gym habits. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, I get it. I, um, I saw an article yesterday and it said the average American gains two pounds a month during in the pandemic. I, I'm well above See, average. That hurts, that hurts, <laughs> that hurts even yeah. more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I put on a pair of uh, these like really cute high-waisted Levi's I had a couple days ago that used to be like baggy. <laughs> I was like, these are like skinny yeah, yeah, yeah. jeans today. Yeah. Okay. My baggy this is, jeans are now skinny jeans. Yeah. This is where we're at in the story right God now. Loves me exactly. God loves me. Exactly. I am yeah. worthy. Okay, great. And so I think after the deconstruction, it's then how do I rebuild? So mm-hmm. how yeah. do I show up from a place of autonomy of agency. And I think that God really honors our agency. I think we see in uh, Romans 12, one that Paul says to the church, therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. Even Paul knows he can't force someone to do something they don't want to do. And even God doesn't force us to do something we don't want to do. And so I think, how do we approach this conversation? How did I approach this conversation is I needed to figure out what my why was. Hmm. I, I like what you essentially are saying is we grow up with all these beliefs about things and we're told, you know, we, we're given this list of what a good Christian girl and good Christian boy do. And we get to our twenties, thirties, and we're kind of discovering who we are, what we actually believe. And we have this, I think it's very natural, this deconstruction period. Mm-hmm. We go, wait, I'm doing all these things. What do I believe them? Are they even true? Are they right? And what I, in what you kind of allude to is that many of the things that we believe, especially in evangelical culture, haven't really had much to do with Jesus. I was talking about this the other day on the Overthinkers group, which is, by the way, mm-hmm. if anyone listening, please join our Overthinkers group online. It's so much fun. We'd love to have you. It's on Facebook. Yeah, it's great. Just look up Overthinkers on Facebook. Plug. Now go ahead. Um, but uh-huh. we, we were talking about separating um, this uh, cultural Christianity, and I hesitate to even use the word Christianity, cultural list of rules and moralism. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then bouncing off this uh, off of scripture and actually seeing who was Jesus, what is actually there. And I think this is a journey that a lot of people have to go on, but really what we end up finding out is that a lot of the rules and things we have in our heads that we're doing really have nothing to do with our faith. But then we get here and we go, okay, that's not a good thing. And then instead of going to Jesus and going, how am I supposed to honor my body? How am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do? We go to another philosophy that has nothing to do with God. So one, the, the purity culture had nothing to do with God. And so we say, we can't do that. And then instead of going to God, we go to another end of the spectrum that still has nothing to do with God. And so I've talked a little bit how um, damaging that I have seen 
Um, luckily, not in my own life, but in many of my friends' lives who grew up in this, that the um, purity culture was and can be. But I also see, I, I have experienced um, even firsthand and, and people I really love and, and seen how detrimental the other side can be when we lower ourselves and our self-value, um, when sexuality is, um, when when the, the spirituality is taken out of it, when it's just a physical thing, when it's not considered to be beautiful and high and worthy and weighty. I've seen that take huge ramifications on people's their psyches and they have they come out of there with trauma and regrets and scars and so it's interesting we have these two dichotomous uh into the spectrum that are both so sure in what they believe and they're both very moralistic and they're both damaging i think one of the things about being a person of faith is we do have to take things in tension there has to be this um we can't drift towards the extremes and that's what humans do we tend towards extremes because there's a comfortability there in the tribes and the understanding the the um, organization of life that makes us feel safe along these lists of rules and and what we should and shouldn't do. But I think uh, the answer is going to and actually looking at scripture, looking at our relationship with God and finding what actually is beneficial. And especially you mentioned it too, Kat, is is practically what actually works? How can we actually live healthily with this drive, with this natural sex drive? And how can we do this right in a way that actually works? And it might take stepping out of whatever spectrum we've been living in be that the one in the spectrum i could say quote unquote secular culture do whatever you want it's not a big deal or the other end in which it's total moralism and it's totally uh damaging to your value and i can't believe what the, uh, you mentioned what the pastor said and so i think it's it's more of a journey um that we have to figure out but as we're on this journey i just want to say real quick there's a lot of grace and no matter where you are on this journey and what you've experienced what you've done um that that has no bearing on your value uh, yeah. to God and to the story that you can tell. So that needs to be said real quick. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so there's a lot of rambling. Um, but I love what you said, uh, Joseph. Any thoughts? Well, I, I yeah, no, I, I definitely. Sorry, because I want to get your your thoughts on this. But you know, I like I have definitely. You know, I was not sort of very deep sort of into purity culture. You know, again, I was raised sort of, you know, with, I was homeschooled and I was raised in Christian family to ordained ministers as parents. And they, you know, they're, they were very comfortable with the topic of sex and they, but they, you know, they had the Christian ethic. No, you don't, you know, you don't, uh, you, you wait till have sex until you're married. But I didn't really get involved sort of in purity culture per se. And what I did see of it, part of what was weird to me about it, I was like, okay, well, this just doesn't, you know, you're not giving, you're giving a lot of what you don't do, but you're not getting a lot of practical advice of like how you navigate these problems. If that happens, you're not giving me a lot of, here's good advice, basically. You're giving me a lot of don't do this, but you're not giving me a lot of good advice of what to do in this world. Um, on the other hand, again, you know, sort of as Nathan Clarkson pointed out, like, you know, when I got in the city and I was, you know, going uh, and encountering this other world, another way of doing things, you know, I, I had, you know, very close and, you know, uh, personal experience with just how badly, you know, that, you know, with my friends or with myself, like all these, you know, uh, how badly just not, you know, engage, you know, engaging in sex in a way that's not um, taking into account marriage, taking account commitment works and how it, did, it badly damages people. And it's interesting, you're seeing sort of secular culture sort of start to talk about this and the damages of sex, even within consent, um, you know, existing. There's, of course, the famous article that's being quoted a lot, which is um, New York Times, our opinion piece. He asked, uh, he asked permission to touch, but not to ghost me, um, where this young woman talks about how, you know, 
he, like the guy did everything right in terms of, you know, having sex, but, and he was asking for consent and respect and care, but then he did, you know, drop her eventually without really much explanation. And it was like, okay, he still treated this as a transactional relationship that could be dropped at any time. Hmm. Um, and the damage that that's caused is people are talking about this, but typically when I hear people critique it, it's okay, but we have, so, so the problem with it is you're supposed to have sex and then get feelings afterwards. Like that's how it's supposed to work is that that's, that's what treating sex. You is mean sacred. modern culture, modern culture. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to, modern culture is trying to create, bring the sacred back into sex. But what they want to do is they say, let's be foolish about our sexuality and not wait for commitment, but then accidentally get feelings for each other afterwards, which it works a lot better for women than men because men's and women's brains are different. And, you know, men, you know, there's a Ted talk that talked about, you know, the way men's women's different brains are wired. And so when after sex, women get chemicals to get the intimacy and falling in love, whereas men don't. And so I'm wondering men actually get the falling in love chemicals once they just made a decision to commit. So I'm wondering all that to say, what is your sort of positive vision for sexuality informed by your faith and also by your experience for people to um, uh, to engage with in this world? Hold on. We're not getting your audio. Sorry, I was I was on mute. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then wow. I like couldn't most, get unmuted. You're the most respectful <laughs> guest we've ever had. <laughs> um, man, gosh, so many things. Um, so I'm, I'm single and I currently am choosing to wait until marriage to have sex. Um, so I'll, you know, caveat that with this. Cause I, I think before I say what I'm going to say, people are like, Oh my gosh, you're just saying, do whatever you want. Sure. Um, but I think that it's so important to go back to your why. Um, we live in a culture of instant gratification. I want what I want when I want it. And I want it like yesterday and I'm entitled to have it. If it itches, scratch it. If you're hungry, feed it. And so we're really driven by that. Yeah. And, and church culture has proven not much different than that. <laughs> we want uh, an Instagrammable soundbite mm. instead of doing the research of theology and mm. reading the Bible for our own or searching our sources of truth. Um, by our own volition. Mm. And um, Simon Sinek and like his huge famous TED talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action, he says, everyone knows what they do. Some people know how to do it. Mm. And very few people know why they do mm. what they do. And he's he's talking about what makes successful businesses. And it's the businesses like Apple that start with the why, that start with yeah. the heart, that say, think different. They're just a computer company, but why are they always just that much ahead of every other computer company? Because they have their why down. Cynic mm. says that Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a plan, but I have a dream. Mm. And that made all the difference. And so I think we can approach our sexuality with a similar lens, mm. as opposed to using a shame-based rules approach to with an aim to control and behavior modify, mm -hmm. clearly that didn't work. How can we equip people with the tools to navigate their own story, to navigate their own sources of truth, whether for me as a Christian, my sources of truth come from scripture, mm -hmm. come from research, come from my personal experiences as well, but do the work of 
searching what your why is. We all want to know, can I have sex or not? Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm just less interested in that question. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let's, let's go. Let's, we got to peel it back. Mm -hmm. It's less about is masturbation a sin or should I have a sleepover or can he touch my boob or is oral sex a sin? Mm -hmm. Like those, yeah. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I just think we're starting at the, but they come after. Sure. Okay. Right. We're at the, we're not starting at the, at the right part of the story. And so for me, questions that I asked myself was, what is it that I really want? Mm. And what is it that I'm looking for? Where am I headed towards every decision or indecision or action or inaction that I make is setting me on a path and a, tra a trajectory. Who am I becoming by the decisions that I'm making or not? Yeah. And ultimately, I think we are either choosing life, love, possibility, hope, faith, grace, kindness, generosity, abundance, or we're choosing lack, victim, fear, shame. The, what is the path of life? What, what decisions will lead you down that path? Mm -hmm. And I think when I'm connected to what I want in the future, that helps me live out today in the here and now more practically. For example, I want to be married. I want to have a long-term monogamous relationship with a man and for that to be in a marriage setting. Um, I would like to have kids. I would like to be a mom, all of those things. And so if that's what I want, then how does that change how I'm showing up in my mm -hmm. dating life? Now, years ago, when I started this journey, I would have said the same thing that I'm looking for my partner. However, I was making out with guys at bars. I was mm. taking some of them home with me and I based off results based off my actions, my actions would have said that I wanted something casual because mm -hmm. those were the results that I was creating in my life. And so I got, I had the opportunity, which I all think we do to pause and say, are my actions in alignment with what it is that I really want? Mm -hmm. And what is the driving force underneath that's propelling me into the actions? So whether it's, I, I am, saving sex for marriage. Cause I feel like I'm going to burn in hell. Like, yeah. all right. If that's rooted in fear and shame, perhaps it's time to revisit that. Mm -hmm. Now, same goes on the other side of thing. Am, am I just having sex with someone? And I, am I saying yes, when I really want to say no, because I'm afraid of rejection. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid that I will be alone. I really, really feel, um, like a failure in this area of my life and something feels better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's time to revisit because you, you get to show up in your sexual encounters from a place of worthiness and wholeness. And so I think what I want to do with my work is maybe, yes, I am waiting until marriage to have sex and that feels in alignment with, with my faith. But what I want for people is not just to like regurgitate why I'm waiting until marriage yeah. to have sex, but be willing to do their own work to develop a sexual ethic that's not rooted in fear or shame. So that in any encounter, we can show up with enthusiastic and informed consent. So gosh, now that I've done the work of this is what I believe about sex. And here's why I think it's this beautiful, robust, physical manifestation of something spiritual. For me, sex is not just physical, but as a person of faith, the physical is never really about the physical. It's always, it's always about something below the surface. It's always connected to the spiritual. And so because I feel so internally motivated in that, I know, okay, I can have the, I can have the awareness to pause 
before I go out on a date and ask myself, what do I want to happen tonight? And what do I not want to happen? Mm-hmm. That's great. What, what do I, do I want to kiss? Do I want yeah. to go back to his apartment? If I go back to his apartment, what do I feel comfortable doing? And what do I not feel comfortable doing? And then do I have the confidence to communicate that? I love. And that. so I think, I think so much of this conversation is not like, how do we, in a, how do we in 2021 get people to still not be having sex? I'm like, how can we give a better vision for sex and intimacy mm-hmm. and give people the tools to show up in their lives, taking ownership for their decisions? C.S. So, well, real quick, I want to jump ahead, in yeah. there and say C.S. Lewis had a, a beautiful quote that says, oh, "We haven't had him in a while." I know. <laughs> it's not that we. Um, it's not that we don't desire, what, what is it? It's not that we desire too much. It's that we desire too little, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I love this, this whole idea that you're talking about, about what do I want? And what is actually, I know that sounds selfish, but it's not because Father Giussani, another um, favorite theologian of mine, talks about every desire is ultimately good and every desire ultimately comes from God. So if you want something that is actually placed there by God uh, and every human desire is placed there by him, uh, whatever it might be, but he encourages us. He's, he's this, um, this, this priest who counts this amazing, um, his, his whole philosophy about this, about desire, encourages us not to stop short in our desire. So to question our desires. And it, it's essentially what you're saying is what do I really want? And, you know, I think a lot of people, um, when they're going to look for, let's say, a cheap sexual encounter, if they ask themselves what they really want, they're looking for validation. They're looking for someone to choose them. They're looking um, to uh, maybe escape or to be loved, even if just for an hour. Um, and But Father Jasani would say, of course, that, that's a good desire. That's, the desire that's leading you to go hook up with someone is actually a good desire. But what if you followed that desire all the way to the, its heart and really found the true answer to that desire? And at the bottom of every desire is God, is fulfillment with God, and we can discover him in these places. Um, so I love the idea of actually asking yourself and looking at your desires, not being scared of your desires, not saying, I want to have sex. Uh, that, that's bad. I got to stop wanting that. No. Why do I want to have sex? What do I want to do? How is this going to make me the person that um, I want to be? And it does come back to ultimately the desires that God placed in our heart. So I love that idea of uh, what do I want? Um, but before we wrap up, I also do want to, this, the question was, should we have sex before marriage? And, um, and it's, again, we're going back to the should rather than the why, um, but there are practical, there is practical data that says, regardless of what you want, um, there are beneficial and harmful things and both scripture and science tells us this. Um, and so that those are interesting to me to look at in conjunction with my desire. And I think that can be informative in helping us actually to achieve what we actually want when looking at these. But the science does say that marriages last longer, um, that you have less scars, that you have less um, sexual and, and emotional trauma when we start seeing sex as something to be used inside um, a committed relationship. Uh, most of the studies, secular and Christian uh, studies, will point to what we have assumed about sex religi- religiously is ultimately beneficial, but I think the problem is how we've talked about it. Like you said, it's come out of a place of shame. It's not out of relationship or love or who do I want to be or what do I really want in life? It's come out of a place of just don't do this or you're bad or do this and you're good. And again, I want to reiterate one more time and I'll let you have a floor, Joseph. Um, that there is not one person, I think in our age of Instagram and like the pastor you mentioned and all these people on, on, um, online, you know, there's this, um, I was a pastor's kid. I I grew up the son of a famous author and a, and a minister. And, um, anytime I made a mistake, I was pretty sure I was the only one 
in the world who made that mistake. Yeah. And as I get older and talk to people, and, and especially in this in this Instagram world, it can be hard um, to realize that we're not the only ones. Every single person has done this wrong yeah. and um, sexuality and getting this right. So wherever you are in the journey, it's okay. You're in, you're in good company. We're all getting this wrong. But I do, I would lo- love to encourage you, everyone listening uh, to, like Kat said, actually explore your desire and say, okay, I can, I can sleep around if I want to do that. God loves me. There is grace. Um, but will this decision practically get me where I want and ultimately will be, will it get me closer to what I truly and truly desire? Um, yeah, more ramblings, but hopefully something, something there, uh, Joseph finish us out before we yeah. get blessed. So I'll, yes. Um, I think you make some excellent, so you make, uh, both of you make excellent points. I think, you know, what I hearing what you say, Kat, and you can you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is, you know, the the big thing, the big mistake that was sort of made um, with purity culture, to so to speak, is that it was something that was people tried to impose on people as a list of rules without actually, instead of actually getting into people understanding why they wanted to do this and people asking, okay, what do I want? And is this the best way to do that? It was external thing rather than an internal thing, which makes a lot of sense. And it's a, a, a really excellent point. Um, I think that, you know, to on Nathan Clarkson's point though, I think that we do have to be wary of um, making it a completely subjective thing because where it's like, okay, it doesn't matter. You can want something wrong. Um, and to say that, you know, and it is something that or destructive or destructive. Yeah. We can want something that's that because we do live in a world of other people. And even if it's like, okay, what I want to do, I don't want to eventually have a monogamous relationship. Um, I, I just, I don't mind doing, uh, something that's just for the here and now. Um, you do end up, uh, hurting other people, especially, you know, as a, as a guy, I know the data that says even if, um, you know, I'm less likely to be, you know, harmed by repeated sexual encounters than a woman is. And so I can say, well, for me, I want to do this, but I also have to think this is going to statistically speaking, have damaging effects on her if I do this. And so I think, you know, that, that is that, I think that the idea that if that keeping sex with marriage is a good thing, I think is a good thing for everybody. Um, but it, we are still left with, you know, if we are saying this is a good thing for everybody, um, you know, you are probably right that the way to do this is to actually capture people with a vision for why it is good for you and for others and to inspire them to want to do it rather than to shame them out of it. Because as you said, that clearly um, hasn't worked. And I'm excited for if people, you know, I haven't read your book, it hasn't come out yet, um, <laughs> but I'm excited for people to read your book and possibly get that um, vision for themselves. So you have any final words before we move on to blessings and curses? Yeah, just a few, just a few practical action steps for if someone Absolutely. is, That's awesome. is yes. interested in maybe taking this to the next, next level, or they're like, I just want to research. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, first of all, there's there the Bible actually does have really a really really beautiful vision for sexuality, for intimacy, mm-hmm. and relationships. 
shameless plug for my book. I hopefully try <laughs> to cast that in my book. But um, I was, for me in my research, it was the secular thinkers that gave me some of the most practical reasons to withhold from the physical mm. in my dating relationships. Interesting. And um, I'll, I'll just list off a few Please. books. The Defining Decade by Meg Jay talks about um, how we slide into relationships because we lead with the physical. And mm. since we lead with the wow. physical, we end up in like, i.e. having sex. So we slide into moving, moving in with someone and we get into relationships that we don't actually really know if we want to be in because we've yeah. led with the physical and then we're five years in and then oh, like we, yeah. we, bought the, we bought the couch together, but he doesn't really want to have kids. So Meg J, The Defining Decade is an incredible read. It's it's also yeah. a TED talk, how, um, how the 30s aren't the new 20s essentially. Mm. And then Helen Fisher is an anthropologist yes. who um, has incredible work about um, the neural pathways and neural neurotransmitters that are released in orgasm in men and women yes. that mm-hmm. um, really make it difficult for sa- casual sexual encounters. And then Esther Perel is a very famous therapist and uh, she talks about how, uh, a, like how culture believes that sex is the death of, or marriage is the death of good sex, but mm, yeah. actually like marriage is the beginning of romance, which I thought it was super fascinating that Esther Perel said that. And then finally, a book called A Return to Modesty by Wendy Shalit. She is a Jewish feminist philosopher who um, was studying feminism and philosophy during the height of the 90s hookup culture. And her big feminist um, battle cry was that casual sexual encounters actually impress, oppress women. Um, so those are just a few books. I have about 10 more. I have like lists of them on my website. Um, but give give your website so people can go and find more about this because that's fantastic. Yeah. So the website is the refined It's my social media. And then I'm constantly talking about all this stuff on my website, or I'm sorry, my, the, what's it called? My podcast, uh, that, the Refined that Collective, thing, that, thing. That, that thing. So I actually have a, ser- a two-part series coming out. Um, what does the Bible actually say about sex and why? Mm. So that's coming out in April. Um, and then I also have another interview coming out where I interview three married couples about if they had to wait until marriage to have sex again, would they would they do it again? Mm. Would they wait again? Um, so yeah, lots Great. of stuff over there. So and real those quick, are, plug your book and everything about it yeah. where people can find it while we're yeah. here. Yeah. So sexless in the city, um, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. You can find out more at sexlessinthecitybook.com. You can buy it at Amazon, Kindle, Audible. <clears throat> if you like hearing my voice, you can hear me read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's my journey of growing up in Southern conservative culture and and learning a set of narratives about my body, about sex, intimacy, dating, and then coming to a breaking point on the heels of a breakup in New York City where I had no idea what I believed. And so the book is all of the questions I asked, everything from is Jesus a feminist to is masturbation a sin to are women wow. really supposed to submit to their husbands like a 50s housewife? Lots of good stuff nothing in there. Nothing controversial. That's nothing controversial <laughs> at all. That's fantastic. Well, please go do that. And now uh, yeah, we're, going we're going to go into our classic segment, Blessings and Curses. So of course, if this is the first time listening to a podcast, which it may be for many of you, because you may have noticed that uh, Kat Harris is on and want to check us out for that reason. It mm-hmm. is where we um, where we just find a piece of art, 
where that or a book, movie, something or something else where that we say, oh, we want to bless this. We want to recommend this or we want to curse this. We want to say, no, this is bad. We don't we don't think you should engage with this. Um, so, uh, Nathan, do you have yours lined up or you want me to go first? I want you to go first. Cool. OK, so I'm going to uh, t- there is very often on this podcast for fans will we'll, we'll often will often find uh, something that's really, really good, uh, you know, even, you know, as a Christian, you're really good in the secular culture and we'll have a uh, very, uh, a very um, cringy uh, Christian curse, uh, Christian film or something to curse because there's so many of them. Actually, I'm going to be a little bit different this time. I watched a Christian film just recently. Oh boy. Yes, which is actually oh no. really good what? on this topic. <laughs> I don't think that's real. Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't believe it or not. It is actually a movie called Old Fashioned, which uh, came out as as sort of as a snarky Christian counter-programming to um to uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. I Fifty this. Shades of Grey. When it came out, it came out the same day as Fifty Shades of Grey, and it was good. It was actually, I was incredible. Not only is it witty and funny, it's basically the premise is that for a Christian this, film, it was witty and funny. You, well, even for a regular film, it was okay, decent. Okay. No, it's that you have this basically this guy who says, "Oh, I'm going to kind of go and be uh, be going to live out sort of a very strict sort of uh, okay, purity culture lifestyle where he's like, I'm not going to be in the same room sort of as a woman and stuff like that." And he encounters this woman who's you know got a more mainstream sort of lifestyle, and they have a cute love story. What was I think amazing about it is they actually do a good job of showing sort of the toxicity of hiccup culture, but also the toxicity of his own ways of going about romance that are built on sort of his own inner trauma and guilt over his previous behavior. They show that some of what he's doing and some of his standards are good and some of his critiques of the other way of living are good, but a lot of what's driving some of his excesses is his own guilt and, mm. and trauma. So, so it actually, shows the two spectrums. It shows the two spectrums. It actually shows two spectrums and how there is a place in the middle that's actually healthier. Okay, and for cool. a Christian film, that they don't do that very often. No. And actually, so it, and it's like for Christian film standards, it's like one of the best I've seen. For regular film standards, even just on this subject, it's probably more um, mature way of talking about it. And it's just sort of fun romance uh, okay. that you could watch as a TV movie and it's free on YouTube. So I definitely recommend people watch it if they're looking for something like that. Um, and then of course, you know, I'll actually have two curses. One is I'm going to curse Christian mingle. This, which is the Christian, Christian rom-com that's trying to be like, Oh, here's the wholesome Christians and the bad sort of secular way of doing things, which is a dumb way to look at things. And then I'm going to curse again. Uh, yes, God. Yes which is a recent uh, secular, you know, comedy that came out, which is basically doing the opposite, which is saying, oh, look at how, you know, wholesome, you know, secular way of doing sex Mm -hmm. is and how stupid uh, the Christian way of doing it is. It's just very, again, very simplistic ways of of looking at the world. And again, they both of these curses movies are also think that they're funny and they aren't, which is the worst. That's the worst curse. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, so those are going to be my blesses and curses this week. Um, So Nathan, you want to go next? Yeah. So my bless is um this is a funny one but i, I love greta gerwig um I'm, oh yes i'm, yes. Gonna, I'm gonna bless ladybird i love yeah. ladybird the movie it's a beautiful beautiful movie yeah. and what i love about ladybird is it explores you know someone growing up and, and dealing with sexuality for the first time things like this and, and the drive for love and acceptance and all these things but what i love in any piece of art is when it shows reality mm-hmm. and greta gerwig does such a beautiful job as does uh, saoirse ronan and yeah. acting it in showing the reality 
of um, sexuality and cheap sex um, on this exploration that she's on. Um, I, I don't exactly know how to say, but I thought it was a beautiful a perspective she gave on the realism of sexuality and how deeply yeah, she shows someone us. exploring sexuality and the the goods and the bads and and heartache yeah. of it as she's exploring it for herself because i feel like what she wants christians and secular culture come to this with a lot of biases I, ideology they're trying to impose yeah on and so much ideology and uh i thought greta gerwig showed a beautiful just realistic view of a young woman young woman grappling with yeah. um uh, with sex and love and and searching for validation. And I thought that was great. And Timothy Shamalama, what's his face? Shamalama. Yeah, he was great Shalame, too. I believe is the yeah. <laughs> Timothy, Timothee. Timothee. <laughs> so that, she's my bless um, by she, I mean, Lady Bird and Greta Gerwig and Saoirse Ronan. Uh, and, <laughs> and Timothy Chalamet. And Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> and my curse. I saw this movie when I was in high school and it was called American Pie. And I feel like everyone's seen this, <laughs> but I know this is an easy one to curse. But it just has such a low and disgusting view of sex, especially yeah. for guys. And regardless of what you think about sleeping with someone before marriage or after marriage, this is just this movies like this actually, um, I think, educated a lot of uh, the generation now who's my age, yeah. like in their 30s on how to view women and sexuality and all these things. And I think you. I, I caught yeah. some of it on TV a while ago. I was like, wow, this is so problematic and terrible. Yeah. And it really is. So I'm just going to curse American Pie. It's a good um, one. Yeah. So those are mine. Cats, <sighs> the floor is yours. All right. Okay. So my blessing this week goes to the. PhD author, Beth Allison Barr. She has a new book mm. called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. Mm. It ah. is blowing my mind. Uh, essentially, it's the history of patriarchy in Christianity. Wow. And, Spicy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so fascinating. Um, I had no idea until recently that there were women leaders in the Bible that over the last few hundred years, um, translators changed their names to men, no. male names. Yep. This is what oh, I, I got to read this. Book yeah. We're gonna have to read this um, book. it's Junia in the new Testament was changed to a man so wow. that, um, so that the complementarian agenda could f continue or, um, the idea that women don't have a place in leadership or ministry wow. or voices not to be used. And the really interesting part of this book is there's a lot of theology books written by pastors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm and not very many written by historians. And she is a PhD historian and a professor, a current professor at uh, Baylor university. And I'm just, it's just shocking to learn. It's shocking to learn how women have been silenced in church and the culture. And her argument is that the church actually hasn't really been countercultural. Um, mm. It's very, even early on, very consistent with the cultural narrative of women are less than men, but that's not how the God story actually is. Um, so it's an incredible read. The title um, one more time. The Making of Biblical Womanhood by mm -hmm. Beth Allison Barr. Great. Um, yeah. And it also feels so encouraging as a woman to be like, oh, wow, women do have a place in the God story. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like I had no idea Romans 16 had 10 female missionaries in yeah. it. I didn't know that those were female no, names. No, I didn't grow up knowing many things that you mm -hmm. come to later discovering that women are so central. And that's what I love about my Catholic brothers and sisters is they have this reverence um, for, for the female in, as a part of the, 
the central part of the story of Jesus. And they, and mm-hmm. they have this adoration for marriage, which I think is beautiful, which yeah. I think can often get overlooked in the evangelical, more sexist uh, circles. Yeah, That's for cool. sure. And then, oh man, I almost don't even want to say this because I do not want to bring more attention to this person. <laughs> Um, but a recent video went viral of a male, a white male pastor in Missouri giving a sermon, walking around with his Bible, talking about how women need to stay attractive. Wives need to stay attractive so that their men don't stray. But what about men? Do we need to stay attractive? Nope. <laughs> this guy oh, is overweight. Whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it just, it's just, I mean, we're in 2021 and it's just wow. so I'm about over the oppression inside the church. Um, mm. I am so over feeling JV to the varsity for being a woman in the church mm. and problematic pastors like this who are still preaching messages that women need to stay home and be quiet and stay attractive so their husbands don't sin like how are we giving this message in 2021 like oh my gosh and i feel like some people think that that makes me like a raging feminist and a feminist is just a person who believes in the social political economic equality of the sexes and so yeah, that definitely makes me a feminist. <laughs> I feel like I've, I feel like I read about this recently, and my first question is, okay, but what about men? I can't. It, it just blew my mind that that was somehow an imperative to be said from the pulpit that women. Yeah. It should blows stay your proud. mind. That blows does, your mind that, that I grew was... up in a very accepting, loving family who gave me a view of God and strong women, and mm-hmm. uh, so I, I wouldn't say I. I have lived close to the evangelical culture, but not mm-hmm. in those spaces. So. No, it shouldn't blow my mind. You're correct. But it still does. It yeah. still does. That's insane. Yeah. It's super upsetting. <laughs> it's super upsetting. Yeah, fair enough. But then yeah. we have people out here like you um, and so many other the great um, uh, women guests we've had on here who have who are bringing, showing the strength of women, especially in these spaces, these theological um, conversations we're having. And it really is a unique, um, great thing to see happening. So keep at it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very cool. Well, um, thank you. Yeah. Again, thank you for coming on. Uh, do you have anything else you want to plug uh, to, uh, you know, uh, remind us of what your website is again, if people want to get in touch with you or anything like that, where, where can people go? Yeah, for sure. So my social media and website is the refined woman and my weekly podcast is the refined collective. And my book is sexless in the city. And you can get that anywhere where books are sold. Fantastic. And Nathan, if people want to get in touch with you or us, where should they go? Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, I'll just do us today. Uh, You can go to theoverthinkersjournal.com and you can find out more about Joseph and I and Nathan, um, our our third tech awesome occasionally on the podcast guy and what we do. Uh, You can also find some cool articles that we're putting out. And if you want to join the community of kind of our core group of uh, people who really are into all this stuff, we have hundreds of people on the Overthinkers group on Facebook where we have daily memes and articles and discussions. We're having so much fun. We'd love to have you as a private group. So please join the Overthinkers on Facebook. And um, yeah, if you want to connect with either of us, uh, write, what is our email? The overthinkersjournal.com? No, uh, oh, the, the overthinkers, uh, the overthinkers.com. We should really know our email. We should know our email. Just, just fill in the thing on the website. Yeah, fill, yeah exactly. It will, it will get to us. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And of course, obviously we have both have socials. So if you want to find us, you can find us on the socials. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. 
Well, anyway, yes, thank you very much, Kat, for coming on. And thank you, everybody else, for joining. And remember, as always, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Thank you.